Welcome to the Regions Insights Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Blose, and on this show, we look at trends, tips, and triumphs around your money. The phrase investing in your future means different things to different people. Some may automatically think of retirement and the planning that goes into it, a topic we'll cover in more depth on a future episode of this podcast. But investing in your future also can mean saving for other milestones, such as buying a house or paying for education. It can mean developing a plan to allow yourself to start a brand new business. And as one of our guests today noted, sometimes it can mean simply preparing yourself for the unexpected. Harold Pollack is a University of Chicago public health policy professor, but he's known more in the world of financial health as the co-author of The Index Card, a book and system designed to demystify personal financial planning. Harold shared a deeply personal story about how and why he first started to care about investing. I was a public health professor at Michigan to start my career, and then I was recruited to the University of Chicago. And four months after I moved in, my mother-in-law died suddenly, and my uh, brother-in-law, who lives with an intellectual disability known as Fragile X Syndrome, moved into our home. And my wife had to basically leave the workforce to take care of him. And and we had a real financial crisis you know, in our family. And I remember thinking, I'm going to hemorrhage out my money. And so I decided that I would actually take seriously personal financial stuff, which I'd never really taken seriously before, and I started researching it. We'll hear more from Harold later in this episode. But first, we turn to Sean Tobin, a region's investment solutions financial advisor who covers St. Louis and other Midwestern markets. Tobin shared his own definition of investing in the future and offered some of the key milestones and planning steps involved. If we're looking at a 30,000 foot view of investing in general, you've got about 40 to 45 years of work to pay for about 60 to 70 years of your adult life. So as far as investing in your future, you know they, they obviously overlap. Some of the years you're going to be paying for are right then and there, and some of the years you're going to be paying for are later on in life. So it's investing in your future is finding the balance on how to pay for such a big period of time in such a short period of time. And figuring out, you know, how you can retire and enjoy yourself instead of working forever or retiring and just sitting on the couch. Retirement obviously is the the end goal in a lot of investment plans, but I know there are a lot of other milestones that people may be saving for, whether that's college for a kid or buying their first car or you know, even on the more entrepreneurial side, you know, saving up funding for starting a business or something to that effect. So what are some of those common milestones or items that people might be planning for and how might their approach differ from item to item? Retirement is obviously the biggest thing that we save and invest for, but you're correct. I have folks that save for specific things like vacations, college, weddings are a big one, especially now that weddings cost twenty, thirty thousand dollars for a big one, vehicles, RVs or other toys like boats, redoing things around the house. You know, some some folks might live in the same place for 15 years and go, man, when we moved in here, I was really planning on redoing the kitchen. And here we are 15 years later and I haven't done it yet. And so sometimes we need to invest and, and make sure we've got a plan going for that for home repairs or home remodels, or maybe for a second home. That way they can have some rental income for themselves now and later. Some people want to invest because they want to build a nest egg for their kids or for charity. And so those are some of the more common things that we see. Yeah. And so those are all kind of, you know, milestones, some fairly universal, some maybe individual, but on an individual level, 
what are the key traits or personality or behavioral things that people should take into consideration when they're developing their own investment strategy for the future as well? So for each of those things, whether it's long-term or short-term, you need to figure out the time horizon, right? We need to figure out, are you planning to save for this with a lump sum investment and hope and lean on only interest? Are you looking to invest and make contributions or maybe a combination of both? Well, how long are you going to make these contributions if you're making those? When are you going to spend this money is the big question. That's the biggest question any of us can ask is, when are you going to spend it? And then we can work backwards from there because then we can find the appropriate risk tolerance and, and investments. Because if somebody's you know, going to come to me and say, hey, my daughter, I just found out she's getting married next year, need to start saving up. You know, we, We're probably going to look at some pretty conservative and short-term strategies versus, yeah, let's go find the latest and greatest tech stock and just roll the dice for the next year. Your guests could be eating either caviar or they could be eating fast food at the wedding, just depending on how well the stock does. Well, I'm glad you brought up risk as well. So how do you help individuals assess their own risk tolerance in relation to whatever their goal is and whatever that time horizon might be? It all boils down to that big question. Risk tolerance and time horizon equate to that big question of when are you going to spend this money and what are you spending it on? When they spend it determines a lot, probably the vast majority. And then again, we work backwards from there. But the farther the moment is into the future, then typically the higher risk reward ratio we can go with. But if it's something that's very short term, then we'll have an honest conversation about expectations on returns. And right now we're in the healthiest short-term safe interest environment that we've seen in 20 years, or you can just waltz into a bank and get great money on CDs, very short-term, but that's not always going to be the case. And so we, we need to break down the, you know, when are you going to spend it? What are you going to spend it on? And then work backwards from there to figure out if it's something we can take some risk on to try to shoot for some better returns long-term, or if it's something very short-term, we just need to make sure that we do the proper math on and calculate some interest for you. You know, obviously there are individual sort of needs that are short-term versus that long-term retirement planning, but ultimately all of it does sort of meld together into financial planning. How do you help clients balance between whatever those short-term planning goals are and their needs are with that while, while keeping an eye on that long-term investment goal as well? So as far as short-term needs and long-term planning, it really boils down to a true financial plan and making sure that you're using calculators and, and financial planning software. We do live in the information age, so make sure you're using a good financial planner and a good financial planning software. But the priority is going to make sure that we're set with our long-term game plan first. In the hierarchy of needs, you need to make sure that, again, we're, we're paying for those 60 to 70 years with only 40 to 45 years of uh, worth of savings. So long-term has got to be the priority first, and then we'll maximize whatever we can as far as the short-term goals. At some point, you know, taxes are likely to go up. Social security is likely to fall. And so we need to make sure to take that stuff into account, have a long-term game plan set into place. And once we're set up with what we can commit for the long-term, feel free to spend and enjoy the rest. As far as we know, we, we only get one shot at this. You cannot only go and live for the 60s and 70s. You've got to make sure you live for your the rest of your life too, the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, and 80s and beyond. Right now, if you took everybody that turns 65 today and put them in a room, one out of every three folks in that room are going to live to be 90. It's not going to be this you know, crazy outlandish thing. Oh my God, you know, grandma lived to be 90. Holy cow. You know, a third of those people are going to live to be 90. And that's the 65-year-olds today. You think about right now, they've said the first person to live to be 150 has already been born. 
And so we, we need to make sure, you know, I'm, I'm talking 60 to 70 years as far as how much you need to save up for to cover that much of your life. And for a lot of us, it's, it's going to be more like 70, 80, 90 years worth of, of life that we need to pay for. So long-term needs to come first. And then once we've figured out that you're on track for your long-term, everything else, feel free to spend and make sure you enjoy your life too. Yeah, I, I want to talk a little bit about some of those earlier goals, kind of pre-retirement goals too, since you talk about enjoying your life, you know, before you're retired as well. Right. You know, let's say somebody has as a goal, you know, they want to stop working for someone else and start their own business, right? They come to you in their 30s. They say, in five years, I want to have my own business started. What are some tools that you're going to point them to in terms of an investment strategy to make that happen? We'll work backwards. If, if we figure out what type of business, obviously, you know, your, your basic questions up front, what type of business are you going to buy? How much do you think you're going need to need to put down versus, you know, can you get lending? And we're going to make sure their credit's in order because most of the time people just can't go out and save in a five-year period. Most folks don't have the means to do that and then just go buy a business for cash. Right? They're going to need to make sure that they have a game plan in place for whatever they're going to need to borrow as well, which means their credit's going to need to be in order. And over a five-year period, even with somebody with tough spots on their credit, you, you can repair that and get to a point where you'd be able to get some lending for the most part over a five-year period of time. Even bankruptcies fall off after seven years. So to make sure that we figure out the funding first on what they need to borrow versus what they plan on putting down in cash, then we'll work backwards from there and figure out, okay, well, here's if you didn't earn anything and we just go into a savings account, here's how much you need to start saving. Is that in the budget? Then we can work backwards from there and say, hey, look, here's some investment vehicles that are typically a little bit lower risk and we can get you there over a short period of time. But because we're working with a time horizon that might be a five-year period of time, we probably wouldn't, we would go low risk if somebody's saying, hey, Maybe they're coming to me at 25 and they're like, I, I plan on putting in 15 years worth of savings. And then at 40, I want to start my own company. Okay. That's, that's fantastic. We've got more time to work with. We probably have some abilities to look for some higher returns and up that risk reward ratio. So we've talked a little bit about the goal of starting a company, planning for a wedding, buying a car, some of those typical things that might be considered investing in your impending future. Are there any sort of surprises that you've you know, either experienced with clients or that you've heard about from colleagues that qualify as investing in your future, but are maybe not those typical milestones? The biggest surprises are when somebody wants to really, really reach high and they might need some special planning as far as a foundation the big charitable donations are probably the biggest surprises when somebody comes in and, and says something like that, because then you get to get really creative with CPAs and CFAs and attorneys and life insurance, especially on that. There are all sorts of neat different uh, routes to go when it comes to looking for foundations, but those are typically, you're talking $15, $20 million and above, and there's some serious planning that goes into it. Yeah. And in that case, it's not just investing in your future, but if you're doing something charitable like that or a foundation, you're investing in others as well. Right. Exactly. You mentioned we're in the information age. You know, It seems like more and more of your clients are kind of already somewhat informed when they come and, and speak with you. What sort of misconceptions or misinformation do you hear from people or do you often have to sort of explain in these conversations? Misconceptions are... You know, it's that easy. You can just you know click some buttons and boom, you're you're going to be an overnight millionaire. It does take time. There's some ingredients to make some money over over a period of time, and and you need to take some risk, and you need to give it some time to cook and marinate. It's important to make sure that people really understand that this isn't a game. It's it's not as easy. Zig Ziglar has a, a neat quote 
money isn't everything, but it's right up there with oxygen. You need it to live. You need it to have a lifestyle. And people should be very cautious about playing with the market and make sure that they have the vast majority of their nest egg and something that that is reliable. And then if they want to shoot for the moon with a couple of things, I fully support it. That's what I do myself. The, my mutual funds do my heavy lifting. My 401k does my heavy lifting. And I've got some stocks that I try to pick that I think are doing a little bit better long-term and, and, and roll the dice on those. With that in mind, what role does diversification play in investing for your future? Yeah. And the, the diversification is key. Having a select five to 10 stocks that try to take advantage of certain situations that are going on because of the economy or just because of a random spot in the market, it can be very rewarding. But you should also make sure that you diversify into an index or a mutual fund or an ETF. Again, I call it for the heavy lifting. The vast majority of the folks that I work with, I would say, if you want a general number, I think most people have probably 75 to 85% of their stuff in, in funds, whether that's an ETF, an indexed fund, a mutual fund, something that's very well diversified, just because then again, you rise and fall with the tide and, and you're not going to miss out on the big sweeps up or down but you can try to take the other portion. And, and really, if you're willing to take the time to learn things and, and track it and know when to get in and out, yeah, absolutely. I, I support folks that want to do things on their own or even with me. And then we have that discussion and pick those five to 10 stocks that we think will do a little bit better with a portion. That's great. Well, Sean, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time and your perspective. Thank you very much for having me. Sean Tobin knows that not every bit of investment strategy will work for every investor. It's his job to tailor individual plans to individual needs. For the bigger picture, we return to Harold Pollack, who you heard from at the top of the show. Harold approaches financial planning from a layperson's perspective, which is perhaps why his goal is to simplify. What was interesting about it was when I talked to the real experts, what they had to say was so much simpler than like the stuff you'd get from financial cable TV and stuff like that. And I was doing a video interview with a financial writer and we were talking about some of this stuff. And at some point I said, the problem, the fundamental problem that the financial advice industry faces is that the best advice for most people is available for free at the library and it would fit on an index card. And it was kind of a throwaway line, but I started getting all these emails from people saying, well, where's the index card? And, you know, because I was just, you know, woofing, but I had put my flag in the ground, you know, so I had to do it. So I grabbed one of my daughter's four by six index cards. She was in seventh or eighth grade at the time. And I just scribbled down in about 90 seconds, nine rules. And I took a picture with my iPhone and I posted it on the web. And it was all stuff like pay off your credit card in full, don't buy or sell any individual stocks, save your money, you know, stuff like that. It got 400,000 views. And then, uh, and in fact, I, I won Money Magazine's Best New Idea of the Year award that year. And I remember my colleagues at the University of Chicago, you know, the big economists, they were like, oh, you won this award. What did you do? You had to show me what you did. And so I, I show them the card and they're like, that's, that's it? <laughs> you know, like, like I've spent 30 years doing, you know, really major research on the stock market and you win with this thing that is obvious to everybody. And I said, well, that's kind of the point that, you know, it needs to be shown in a way that can fit on a refrigerator magnet that people can use. Yeah, I'm curious too. Are there any particular sort of simple practices or habits that individuals can adopt to get themselves on a more solid financial footing and even start investing in their future as well? 
Well, first thing is make it automatic. You want to be automatically saving with every paycheck and you know, putting it into reasonable stuff like a target date investment fund that matches, you know, when you expect to retire, you know, like your 70th birthday, something like that. Keeping track of your spending is useful so that you're self-aware about your own vulnerabilities. And it's not like you should be on a financial starvation diet, but you want to be intentional. You know, I like to say to people, your high calorie food should always taste great. And, you know, budgeting, I think your credit cards are really important. You really want to pay off your credit card bill at the end of every month in full. Credit card interest rates are like 16% or more. There's no investment that's going to come anywhere close to paying off your credit card if you have a lingering credit card debt. You know, I, I think for a lot of us, our credit cards are a real problem. You know, those are the kinds of simple things that I think are important. And stay away from uh, crypto and from trying to predict individual stocks that are going to do well. You know, suppose I spend a lot of time thinking, you know, should I invest in SUVs? I really want to understand whether the next SUV is going to be a big success. And there's two things that are really wrong with that. One is the other people who are thinking about that, there's, there's someone who works at Goldman Sachs. That's her full-time job is to cover the auto industry. And she's, she's got way more information than you have and more expertise. You're not going to outcompete that person in this. And also, every second that I spend thinking about that SUV is the second I could have been thinking about how to do a good job on my day job, how to be a better parent or partner, doing things in my life that make a difference that are much better uses of my time. I would say my best and worst financial decisions have often been not about finances at all. It's like, did I get that memo in in my day job that was important? Did I pay attention to that thing in my house that needed to repair or things that I can control and not to try to be a financial professional, which is not what my job is. So those are the kinds of things that I think about a lot. The first example that comes to mind when I asked that question was the sort of target retirement date. That's what people think about automatically, I think, when we say investing in your future. But obviously, yeah. people have other goals, whether it's owning a car, buying a house, you know, paying for a wedding, whatever the case may be. How do you think about balancing those shorter term goals with that longer term sort of end retirement date as well? And there's no one answer that works for everybody. But I think keeping those things in mind and saying, if I have a long term goal, what am I doing that's moving myself towards it? And thinking about ways to save that give me that flexibility is often important. Like one of the things that I'm a big fan of is Roth IRAs because you can put money in your Roth IRA and then if you need it, you need to withdraw some of it for an emergency or because you've got some sort of a, you know, the, you have a child's wedding or something like that. You can do that. It turns out with a Roth IRA, there's no penalty if you with, if I put in $6,000 and it made $3,000 interest. I can take out up to $6,000 without any kind of penalty. I can't take out more than that. I can't dig into the investment game, but I can take out the principal. And so that becomes a great way to have a strategic reserve. So I can successfully have strategic reserve that's both good for my short-term stuff and also is working towards those long-term issues like my retirement or my kid's college or whatever. Those are the kinds of strategies. I, I think the main thing is also you need rockets to do rocket science. And the way you do rockets is you try to save 20% of your money and live below your means. You mentioned that sort of 20% guideline for, mm -hmm. for savings. Is that yeah. something that applies kind of across the board, every stage of life? And should people really start doing that earlier than they are in, in general? You know, there's a mathematical answer and there's a human answer to that. The mathematical answer depends on what you think your earnings trajectory is. You know, like 
it's funny. Some of the financial experts did not like my 20% advice. They're like, you know, I tell my students, you know, they should be spending money now. And I'm like, well, your students are getting a master's degree from the Booth School of Business at the University of Chicago, and they know they're going to be making a ton of money when they graduate. And they're not, you know, the biggest problem in America is not that people save too much money because they forgot that they're going to be rich in five years. I think that 20% is a pretty useful guideline for most of us. It's very hard to achieve. One of the challenges with that is I've gotten a bunch of communications from people where they're like, you've just told me to save 20% of my money. I'm a single mom. I cannot do that. And then there's a string of obscenities that follows that. And I'm like, you know, I totally get that. That's really hard. But I, I think that's a reason, you know, 15 to 20% of your pre-tax pay is what we should all be kind of aiming for and how much we're consistently saving. And if you say, how much of a house can I afford? Things like that. If I buy this house, can I still be saving 15 to 20% of my money every month? That's kind of a good, a good rule of thumb. So I'm glad you brought up the example of someone who maybe was thinking they can't afford to save 20% every month. So what is your advice for people who have either faced a financial setback or maybe they're earlier in their career and just not making enough where they feel like they can really start investing or saving? How can they get a sound financial footing to start with? There's a couple of things. One is I do think that financial coaches can be very helpful. If you call your local United Way and other things, you can get some expert help. Sometimes your workplace will have access to that kind of expert advice. And it's it's not about what should I invest in, but it's really how do I manage other aspects of my life? How do I balance putting money in my kid's college versus my retirement? If I have credit card bills that are kind of very, very high, how do I deal with that? You know, maybe I need some credit counseling, something like that. There's good sources of information that are out there. And I think whatever helps you get yourself going is really important. So for example, one of the administrative assistants that I knew came to me for advice. And she was like, you know, I don't have enough money to save for both my retirement and my kid's college. You know, she had a daughter. She's a single mom. And what should I do? And the mathematical answer was your retirement comes first, probably. But the human answer was she would have felt really bad about herself if she didn't put anything aside for her kid's college. And we talked about some strategies where she could save and one of the things that we talked about was how she could get mojo out of saving because it's one of the problems when you don't make a lot of money is it's painful to save. You know, you really have to do without stuff that's real. I think we each have our own vulnerabilities. Like sometimes uh, you know, understand, for example, like do not pay attention to your credit card reward program if that makes you spend more money. You know, if, if you find that paying cash allows you to be more disciplined, pay cash for stuff. If you find that having a special account that's called next year's summer vacation, that, that helps you save, that's great. You know, that, then you then you have a little piggy bank where you say, you know, I'm not going to spend the $6 on Subway. I'm going to put it in next year's summer vacation account. And when that six-year summer vacation account reaches $500, then I can go on my vacation or $1,000, whatever the vacation is. So I'm, I'm creating a mechanism where I, my short-term goal has some real teeth to it and some real tangible signs of progress on it. Yeah. So it sounds like the system has both a need for prioritization, but also there's a lot of individual elements that go into this in terms of what's important to you and, and what motivates you. Absolutely. Yeah. 
I'm curious too, with the index card, I mean, you've lived with this for a little while and it's it's what, as you said, has, has gotten you recognition. As you were putting together those nine key tips, w- were there any things that surprised you or jumped out to you that, oh, this is kind of new information or I'd never thought about this that way before? I do think what surprised me the most was how simple this stuff is and how you don't have to know anything about the stock market. In some ways, it's better that you don't. When I looked at the data, it was astonishing how bad we are at stock picking. The group in America that is the most self-confident and performs by far the worst is young unmarried men. When I mention that fact, all the women in the audience all start howling. They're like, tell us something we don't know. You know, the combination of overconfidence and underperformance is something they're quite familiar with. But just, you know, I, I was astonished that like this, if, when we buy stocks, the stocks that we buy tend to underperform the stocks that we sold so we could buy that stock because we chase after shiny objects. And th- there are these two researchers who studied p- how well people do buying individual stocks. And we are just so bad. It's hilarious. And the other thing that I found interesting was the role of financial consultants and advisors. They actually are very helpful, but they're not helpful in helping you pick stocks. And what they're helpful for is, you know, I've got a child with a disability and another child who doesn't have a disability. How do I plan that? You know, having somebody who's a financial expert, that, that person can be really helpful for you. And in fact, if you paid that person $300 an hour and you got really unbiased advice what's called under what's called a fiduciary standard where they're legally obligated to give you advice that is in your own financial interests and not biased by any of their own financial interests, that's actually worth it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Harold. We really appreciate you joining us today. It's great to hear your perspective on this and we appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Long story short, simplifying financial planning is a worthy goal, and we thank Harold for sharing his approach with us. We wanted to dig in a little more on short-term versus long-term planning for the future, so we also spoke with Ryan Nast, a region's financial advisor based in the Birmingham area. We can start at the individual level, and a lot of that depends, uh, Chris, on their goals and objectives. Is it a shorter term type of investment? Is it something longer term like their uh, retirement planning, something like an IRA or a 401k perhaps that uh, may be money for, for the distant future to help in retirement? So a lot of that really depends, but it's going to look different for each person. And I think that's what's great about our program and, and the opportunities we have to get in front of potential clients very diverse offering uh, of investment solutions that, that we have here at Regions. So a lot of it depends, uh, stepping back to, hey, are you a younger person that may have 30, 40 years till retirement? Are you getting a little closer to retirement where you may have income needs? So at the individual level, it really depends on where they're at, what they're looking for, and kind of what they expect in the future. And, and we've got a solution for everybody in, in that regard. When it comes to business, you know, some of that depends as well on their horizon. 
Is it shorter term money where they may need to just try to get a, a good rate of interest, be a little more conservative? Is it us helping them with their 401k or their company retirement plan where we can help them think about you know, providing the best uh, benefits for their employees and, and themselves as well as business owners? So a lot of that really depends on what their goals and objectives are, their timeline, and we can really sit down and customize a strategy for those businesses, depending on what their needs may be. Now, Ryan, how might some of those approaches change, whether it's for individuals or for businesses, when we're in a time of disruption or when we have you know, high interest rates, for example, or there's a little bit of uncertainty in the market as well? Yeah, yeah. So sometimes they may not change. Sometimes if your time horizon is long and you're a younger individual or have 10 or 15, 20 years till you may need that money or, or potentially longer, it may be best to hang in there, right? If things are volatile in the market to not necessarily take a loss if you don't need the money in the near term. So riding out those storms, and that may even present an opportunity for some people if, if the market were to be down somewhat. And they have a long time horizon for when they may need the money or may want to access the money potentially. It could be an opportunity to buy in at a lower price and then grow more over the long term with that. So some of that really, really depends, you know, on what their needs are, whether it's short or long term. If it's shorter term, you can certainly take advantage of the interest rates, Chris. You know, rates have certainly risen significantly the last year plus with the Fed, you know, continually raising rates periodically when they have their meetings. So there's certainly some opportunities in that space for individuals that may be more conservative and have nearer term needs with their money or businesses, right, that may have requirements around, hey, we, we can't or we don't want to invest this money in something volatile like the stock market could potentially be. But what can you offer us in the shorter term space? And rates are really fantastic, both with bank related products, CDs, money markets, things of that nature, along with, you know, more fixed income type investments, you know, perhaps uh, fixed rate investments like fixed annuities, indexed annuities. Those are just certain product types that we don't necessarily have to get into the weeds on, but there are solutions for both the individual and the corporation in that respect. So Ryan, you brought up kind of short-term options, you know, and I think when we're we're talking about investing in your future, people's minds automatically go to retirement or those sort of longer horizons. But what are some of the things that people on the individual level are either saving for or trying to invest for that may not be 30, 40 years down the road, but maybe, you know, next month or a year from now? Yeah, I know. Great question. So that's one of the you know, early on questions I'm going to talk about with any potential investor in a review with a client, what their near-term expenses may be. When I say expenses, not necessarily day-to-day, you know, we, we will talk about that, but more, are there any large potential expenses on the horizon? Is somebody, you know, looking at buying a house, looking at buying a vehicle, any major purchase, college expenses coming up for a you know somebody that may have children that are entering that phase of life. So talking about those big expenses, whether that be something need-based or investment-based from their side, because as you know, the market can be very volatile in the short term, both good and bad, right? Somebody could do very well in a one-year period of time. Somebody could do very poorly in a one-year period of time. So I hesitate to recommend things like that for somebody that may need very near-term access to their money. And thankfully, rates have risen for those type of investors. So there definitely are solutions if you're wanting to keep your money short-term. There also may be you know, people that have a little bit of uncertainty. Hey, I don't 
want to take on that risk of the market because I may be looking to make this purchase or depending on the conditions, you know, of what I'm looking to do, I may be spending this money in the near term. I may not, but at the same time, I don't want to take on those risks and we can kind of come in and fill that need for clients, whether it be something more potentially short term, like an emergency fund or a one to two year strategy. There definitely are competitive solutions to offer to clients from a rate standpoint. Now, I'm curious that taking the same approach for a business owner, you know, there are maybe opportunities that come up in the short term, whether it's an acquisition, whether it's expanding operations, or even just, you know, some sort of new partnership. How do you work with a business owner to think about evaluating those opportunities and thinking about the best way to either finance them or just kind of fuel that future growth? My role primarily is on the investment side, but we do have through regions, gosh, a great wealth of line of business partners that we can access for things, whether it be, you know, potentially loan related financing, you know, purchasing sale or acquisition, those type of things with our commercial bankers and commercial business partners that we can access. So we've got some great relationships in that regard. Conversely, they may come to me, right, with one of their existing clients that may have, hey, their bylaws or their articles of incorporation or just whatever their needs are for this money, they don't allow them to be in the market. Can you provide a shorter term solution for some of their excess cash, things like that, that they may need? Certainly offering a wide variety of solutions and conversations there. So I think it just really depends on what they're looking for, whether that falls under my you know, area of coverage or if we can bring in some of our great partners at Regions even better. Walk me through kind of the types of investment vehicles that are available and what sort of roles they may play in either long-term or short-term wealth planning. So at the end of the day, you know, a lot of our conversations and, and it's just human nature, right? It, your, your mind goes to risk. And it's difficult for a lot of people to think about, me included, right? It happens to think about, hey, this is money for 20 years down the road. This is money for 10 years down the road, whatever that number or that time may be. You know, it's human nature to worry about the news of this week, the news of this year. It was a bad market year, but, you know, things tend to work out very well historically over time. And I have a lot of confidence in that continuing to be the case and provide a lot of opportunity for our clients. But as far as specific products, solutions go, I mean, you can start on the conservative end, Chris, and you're getting into, you know, things like treasuries, right? Where the federal government will issue those T-bills or shorter term debt that clients can buy and receive a, a rate of interest upon maturity, similar with a CD, a certificate of deposit. Regions offers those solutions at a very competitive rate, and I think we've had a lot of clients taking advantage of that on their deposit dollars where those rates may not have quite been there um, the last few years with any bank. I think there's some opportunity there for clients in that shorter term space. And then when you tap into, hey, we're looking at more growth, maybe more income, growth and income, whatever that combination may be that's appropriate. My goodness, we have such a great offering through our program for clients. And, and that's my job is to hear them out, listen to their risk, listen to, hey, here's when I may need the money. Do I need income now? Is the income down the road? And really tier a plan and a program whatever that looks like specific to them, you know, nothing cookie cutter involved. We're really going to hear a client out, 
you know, ask them all the appropriate questions about their assets, what their goals are, what their needs are, and really design something that we feel is appropriate for them. Now, that doesn't mean that that won't change, right? It may not change in the near term if they're younger and have a long-term kind of horizon and are fairly aggressive. But for some clients, they may need a little more, you know, tactical management where things may shift and move depending on, you know, their needs. And, and we're here to be versatile in, in that regard. It really just depends on the client and their needs. But I guess at the end of the day, high level, we've got a solution and a fit for everybody. And, and really, it's our job to put them in the right place initially and maintain that along the way, right? With reviews, with adjustments, you know, if things change for them, we're able to adjust to that. Ryan, I know this is all very much individual. So can you think of any examples or stories from your work with clients where you, you know, either came up with a creative solution to help someone plan for a major milestone or for retirement? One thing that, you know, we've heard stories of this throughout the bank and, and I'm sure, you know, throughout our industry and, and other industries, right, as well. But, you know, one thing I look back to is, you know, during COVID, right? Uh, in 2020, kind of that March, April timeframe when, when things were, were not looking good, right? Both uh, for the health of individuals out there and for the health of our economy, right? A lot of uncertainty. The market was certainly impacted from that standpoint in a, in a pretty swift, negative fashion. And there were many, many stories, and I'm sure other counterparts can, can tell their own as well. But I think of multiple customers, clients that reached out with concerns, obviously, right? This is unprecedented territory. There's a lot of uncertainty out there, a lot of fear, all of that perfectly justified, right? Given the circumstances and, and what was going on at that time. But being able to be there for clients to take those phone calls or emails and get back to them in, in a swift fashion with my confidence in, in the long term and laying out their plan, revisiting their strategy. Why did we do it in the first place? When are we going to need this money potentially from an income standpoint? And was really able to be there, you know, to help clients through that time. And thankfully, you know, I really can't think of anybody off the top of my head that made a dramatic decision, although they were feeling that emotionally. I was able to help those clients understand the big picture. And it has really worked out for them over the last few years with the rebound in the markets overall. So that's something I was thankful to be there, right? Thankful to help my clients during tough times of uncertainty to hang in there if that was appropriate for them. And it's come out very well. And I know they're thankful for that. Yeah, it seems like withstanding volatility and, and hanging in there is really a theme. So are there investment vehicles or sectors that are better equipped to withstand that sort of volatility? Uh, it really depends. Gosh, it's just so hard to really you know comment too much on that in the short term as, as far as that goes. I mean, we certainly have historic numbers of how the S&P 500 has performed long term and the averages of that and so forth that we can show clients to provide some comfort and, you know, there's great resources and, and investment partners we work with that just, gosh, such a great bevy of literature and marketing materials and all these things that we can get in front of clients and, and help them, hey, you know, here's kind of what's happened the last 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, if we wanted to go back that far, right? And, and just give some, hey, here's the ups and downs, here's where it's averaged over time, and really present that from a high level is kind of where I tend to hang out. It's just so hard to really get in the weeds from a, hey, things are volatile this month, things are volatile this six-month period, even this two or three-year period. Gosh, it just makes it so tough to know 
you know, how things are going to perform in those little slivers because a lot of things react differently to different market conditions, whether it's stocks, whether it's bonds, whether it's interest rates, like we talked about a few minutes ago. So it really does depend. And I think that really, Chris, speaks to the importance of those one-on-one conversations or those conversations with business owners, if it's related to a business or a family or whatever the case may be, to really drill into what their goals are, what their concerns are, and make sure that they feel confident leaving a meeting with me, knowing that the strategy we put in place for the adjustments we made are the right thing for them. That last phrase from Ryan is important the right thing for them. It's a recognition that there's no one-size-fits-all approach to investing in your future. Your approach will vary depending on your goals, what future you're saving for, your appetite for risk, and always by the conditions of the market and the world at any given time. So don't be afraid to make a plan and then make adjustments along the way when you need to. Thank you to Harold Pollack, Sean Tobin, and Ryan Nast for joining us today and sharing some great information. And thank you for listening. Please note, this podcast is provided for educational and illustrative purposes only. It is not accounting, financial, investment, or legal advice. Regents Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. This information is general education or marketing in nature and is not intended to be legal, tax, or financial advice. Although Regents believes this information to be accurate, it cannot ensure that it will remain up to date. Statements or opinions of individuals referenced herein are their own, not Regents. Consult an appropriate professional concerning your specific situation. Regions Investment Solutions is a marketing name of Cetera Investment Services. Securities and business products are offered through Cetera Investment Services, LLC, doing insurance business in California as CFG STC Insurance Agency, LLC. California Insurance License Number 0A96522. Member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Cetera Investment Advisors, LLC. Neither Cetera Investment Services nor Cetera Investment Advisors is an affiliate of Regents Bank or its related companies. Individuals affiliated with Cetera firms are either registered representatives who offer only brokerage services and receive transaction-based compensation, commissions, investment advisor representatives who offer only investment advisory services and receive fees based on assets, or both registered representatives and investment advisor representatives who can offer both types of services. Investments are not FDIC, NCU, SIF insured, may lose value, are not financial institution guaranteed, are not a deposit, are not insured by any federal government agency. Regions Investment Solutions, 250 River Chase Parkway, Birmingham, Alabama 35244, 800-598-9164.